This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, August 16th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, KOTO gets kooky. Refunds drain county housing fund. Governments look to update regional housing needs assessment. And a mountain weather forecast. On a mountainside overlooking Ure, the wind rustles through aspen leaves. We're about 9,200 feet in elevation above Ure, Colorado on the western slope. That's Dustin Fisher, caretaker at Gold Mountain Ranch, surrounding us for as far as the eye can see. Pretty much nothing but San Juan Mountain Ranch. (laughs) Perched on the mountain is a home, old mining ruins, a via ferrata, and also a new radio tower. KOTO Radio is expanding its signal to reach Ure and Ridgeway. This tower will make that happen. KOTO purchased the tower last January, I believe. Um, We picked it up in February, hauled it up the mountain. Um, We had to wait for the snow to melt off. We had about two or three feet of snow at the time. Um, Once the snow melted off, we got a concrete contractor in here to come and install the concrete. Once the Um, cement was cured, local climbers came in to assemble the actual tower. I think the only thing we have left to do is to install the actual equipment for the radio station. KOTO Executive Director Kara Pallone says expanding the signal to Ridgeway has been a goal for the radio station for years. But the FCC doesn't really open filing periods very often. And so when one came about in 2021, Ben was like, we should do this. And so we did. We took that opportunity to apply for um, a permit, a construction permit from the FCC, and we were granted that approval in December 2021. Per the FCC, that's the Federal Communications Commission, KOTO has three years to build the tower and have the signal go live. Pallone says the radio station is in phase two of that development. A lot has been done. But there's still a ways to go. We're just taking it piece by piece and, you know, trying to stick to a timeline that will get us on the air in 2024. Still, she says the tower going up is an exciting milestone. You know, just getting the tower up there was such a huge process. Like we, the del- we couldn't, we, there wasn't a delivery truck big enough to even get it to, to the location, let alone up the mountain. And so there's just been so much coordinating that's been done. And so to, t- to see it go up over the last couple of weeks has just been a huge moment for Kodo. With the new location, the new tower, KOTO will also add new call letters. Staff decided on K-O-O-K, Ridgeway. KOTO did a survey to determine the best location to place the tower and gauge where the frequency will go. Station manager Ben Kerr says he's excited to see just how far the signal will travel. You can't really tell exactly where it's going to go. There's always some surprises as to, uh, oh, I didn't expect to get it here, you know, so... It'll be interesting to see. It'll be really exciting to put the signal up, turn it on, and then you just drive around and say, where is it? Where is it going? Where we? Where can we get it? And then you'll hear from people that in strange locations. Go, well, I'm getting it really good here. According to the Pew Research Center, over the past two decades, there has been a major decline in the number of news outlets serving local audiences. Pallone says the expansion to Ridgeway with KOOK will allow Kodo to keep the region from becoming a news desert. We want to build a foundation that would prevent that from ever happening in our region. 
journalism is extremely important right now. We're independent journalism. And um, to maintain that and make sure that everyone is getting the information and education that they need is, you know, of a top priority of ours. We're also one of the only, I think the only local source of local news in both English and Spanish. So just being inclusive of all of our communities and making sure we're serving everyone equally is very important. Kerr shares the sentiment. Kodo remains fiercely independent for the community it serves. It's pure. I think it's, it, there's nothing really like it. You don't, you don't have to put up with a bunch of advertising and hype and, and disingenuous um, uh, politics and thought and things like that. It's, it's, it's organic. It's, it's real. It's coming from the people. It's coming from the people for the people. So it's, I think it's really important. It's, it's grassroots. It's, it's about people. KOTO plans to be on the air in Ure and Ridgeway in 2024. So for the time being, this is KOTO Telluride 91.7. But soon... You're listening to KWLK 90.3 Ridgeway. That's awesome. <laughs> It takes workers to build a house. Then it takes workers to clean it, update it, and run the community services for the home's residents. In order to make sure those workers have a place to live, San Miguel County, like other municipalities in our area and across the country, charges something called a housing impact mitigation fee. The county introduced its first impact fee in 2007 and, says County Manager Mike Bordonia, uh, it set forth a formula that started in 2007 and then had um, slight increments that were um, that ran through 2015. But um, the formula stopped uh, at 2015 and the county had not redone uh, the formulas or the methodology of that impact uh, or mitigation fee. By last summer, the fee structure had become seriously out of date. At the county, says Bordonia, what we've come to realize is that the fees that were being generated could not even start to come close to building the unit uh, uh, with what they now cost. Just as an example, from 2007 up to 2023, in total, those fees generated less than a million dollars. Considering the expense of building housing in this area, collecting a million dollars over a period of some 15 years felt like a paltry some, says Bordonia. And so we knew that we had to take action um, to just enable us to be able to offer more affordable housing opportunities for local workers in the future. Last July, county commissioners approved a substantial reworking of county impact fees. The new structure rolled out a tiered approach. Small homes, those under 2,000 square feet, pay no fee, while the largest projects are charged a mitigation rate at 90% of their assessed values, where before they'd been charged only 37. Following the passage of the new rates, public feedback was swift, as property owners planning to build faced a sticker shock. The county responded this spring by implementing a new timeline for the rollout of the fees and offering refunds to those who had seen their rates suddenly jump. But those aren't the only impact fee refunds the county has had to issue this spring. The second category of refunds, Bordonia explains, come from Aldosoro Ranch. 
and date back to the original development agreement for the Deep Creek Mesa neighborhood. Around 1991, they had set aside 15% of their units as deed-restricted units, and that essentially covered all future mitigation for any homes that would be developed in the future. And that was according to the rules in the land use code at that time. But over time, this initial agreement was overlooked. And says Bordonia, as new building officials came and went, sometimes the fee was mistakenly applied to some of those properties. Aldosora homeowners became aware of the mistake this spring and brought it to the county's attention. Impact fees flow into the county's affordable housing fund, which has supported projects such as Sunnyside, the Gold Run Homes on Telluride's East End, Pinion Park, and so on. Bordonia says the county had to turn to the affordable housing fund to offer the refunds, which became necessary this spring. At the end of April of this year, our fund was sitting at uh, about $120,000. So um, amount we owe back was approximately 160000 So it created a deficit of almost 40000 from where we sit now. So essentially, we're out of money in our affordable housing fund. Now, a year after commissioners made move to restructure mitigation fees and reinvigorate its affordable housing resources, its fund is in the red. But, Bordonia says, building permits are always being issued. And so... I feel confident that it will at least rebound um, to to get us back to zero. <laughs> in the meantime, Bordonia says the county will not be putting any of its housing plans on hold and will continue to focus on the issue while the fund regenerates. Bordonia recognizes the county made mistakes in its collections, but he says it's dedicated to correcting those and to moving forward. The Telluride region is in a housing crisis, but how many more units are needed to house the community? That's where the Regional Housing Needs Assessment comes in. But there's a problem. The last time the assessment was conducted was in 2018. It's held up well. We've used it. Uh, the town has used it. Now Voyage has used it in the county to achieve uh, good grant success. But it's going to be, it should be updated. It's about five years old, but that was pre-pandemic. That's Lance McDonald, program director for the town of Telluride, speaking at an intergovernmental meeting on Monday with representatives from Telluride, Mountain Village, and San Miguel County. He adds the way to get information is always changing. Uh, the methodologies for housing needs assessments are always evolving and changing. It's not urgent, but it is timely. This week, regional governments agreed to move forward with updating the housing needs assessment to get a better sense of how many and what types of units the region needs. Although McDonald notes the assessment won't identify how to address the issue, it will simply point out where the issue is. It's more of a uh, kind of a drier policy document. It doesn't talk about too, too much about like what each jurisdiction should do. It's up to that jurisdiction to take that report and then decide how it wants to address okay. the demand. He says the document will rely heavily on a survey to identify where the people who work in the region live. It basically surveys uh, where you work not and then where you live relative to where you work. And then also ask that question, would you prefer to live closer to where you're working or are you okay you know, in the current situation. While a housing needs assessment isn't required by the state, McDonald adds having one with up-to-date data can help with securing grants for housing projects. Officials estimate the cost of updating the document will run between $50,000 and $100,000. 
The document would share data for the whole county, including communities like Ophir, Norwood, and Rico. However, Telluride Mountain Village and San Miguel County would share the cost burden of the project. San Miguel County Manager Mike Bordonia says the county is all in on updating the document. Mostly because of how dramatically our housing market and opportunities have changed um, since 2018. And so we're we're definitely interested in pursuing that with uh, the town or towns as partners. Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson notes while the data will be beneficial, not having an updated document isn't keeping the municipalities from moving forward with building housing. It's not like the town of Telluride or Mountain Village or, or any of our bodies are waiting around to build housing until we get the housing needs assessment. We are we are all, I think, pushing the, the gas full throttle on housing projects. But um, part of the, the need uh, or the gap that this study will fill is really going after those grants and, and those granting agencies who require updated uh, numbers. But I would just want to stress, we continue to to push multiple housing projects now, knowing how far behind we are regionally on, on the housing front. The San Miguel Regional Housing Authority spearheaded the housing assessment the last time around with support from consultants' economic planning systems. The governments are in support of the SMRHA leading the charge again, and we'll discuss the housing needs assessment at the next SMRHA board meeting in September. For 43 years, the Telluride Mushroom Fest has been a fun-glorious affair, mixing art, inquiry, spiritualism, and naturalism to foster a mycological blossoming in the San Juans. Passes for the beloved festival are sold out, but those in town this weekend can still participate in a whole slate of free events. Highlights include the Mycological Poetry Open Mic on Friday the 18th from 2 to 4 p.m., and the Mushroom Parade down Main Street at 4 p.m. on Saturday. A healing and integration space in the Telluride Arts HQ will also be open to the public all weekend, offering discussions and presentations on the therapeutic powers of fungi. Book signings, a selection of talks, and a vendor village are also open to the public throughout the weekend. For the full details, visit www.telluridinstitute.org telluride-mushroom Dash Festival. The season to lock your cars and even your home is upon us. Bears are entering hyperphagia, a period of foraging and fattening up in preparation for hibernation. Over the next few months, their drive for food could lead them to seek out trash and enter human areas more frequently and aggressively. The majority of human-bear interactions tend to happen in September and October, and Colorado has already seen its share this summer. Last week, a bear entered a home near Trinidad, Colorado, shortly after midnight. The homeowner, a 82-year-old woman, heard rustling, rose from bed, and went to her mudroom, where a bear leapt at her before exiting the house. Although her injuries were minor, the incident is yet another concerning run-in reported in the state. Colorado Parks and Wildlife stresses that bears prefer natural forage, such as berries and grasses, but once accustomed to human food, they can become a nuisance and a danger to the public. Full information on how to secure waste and reduce bear run-ins is available at cpw.state.co.us. 
Governor Jared Polis wants a judge to reverse last week's ruling to temporarily block a new state gun control law. The law would have increased the minimum legal age to purchase a firearm to 21, with exceptions for active-duty military, law enforcement, hunters, and sport shooters. Lawyers for Polis asked federal judge Philip A. Brimmer to stay or postpone the preliminary injunction he issued against it. Conservative gun rights group Rocky Mountain Gun Owners were behind the legal challenge of the law and named Polis as a primary defendant. The Colorado Sun reports a decision on the governor's request could happen within the week. The United States' second gentleman was in the Tetons last week. Douglas Emhoff, husband of Vice President Kamala Harris, is helping announce a $44 million investment in making national parks more resilient to climate change. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Hannah Mersbach reports some of that money will be infused in Wyoming's sagebrush habitat. Doug Emhoff walked alongside rangers in the summer sun through a sea of sagebrush. The Tetons stood tall behind him as he addressed a small crowd. All Americans love our national parks, this American included. Preserving this land matters. It matters to all of us. It matters to everyone. Part of the funding from the Inflation Reduction Act passed last year will go towards helping preserve sagebrush, which provides food and shelter for species such as grizzly bears, which eat their roots. Homesteaders removed a lot of the native shrubs in the 1800s, but now park staff are restoring them and federal funds will accelerate that work, helping the park generate more native seeds and hire more people to plant them. Restoring sagebrush helps us build healthy ecosystems which support access to water, local communities, and economies. It's critical that we protect these habitats and allow them to grow and strengthen climate resilience. The funding will also go toward restoring Grand Teton and Yellowstone whitebark pines, which help keep snow on the ground and reduce erosion, and were recently listed as threatened. Hannah Mersbach, K-12 News. Water issues in the arid west are complex. The laws that govern our region's rivers and reservoirs are tough to wrap your mind around. But art can provide an entry point and create an emotional connection that helps people understand what's at stake. From Maspin Public Radio, Kaya Williams reports on one painter fostering that connection along the Colorado River. Trust your hand, see if you can make some marks. With his eyes squinted, hand out to the horizon, artist Patrick Keycut is showing about a dozen people with sketchbooks how to make those little trees in the distance look just the right size on paper compared to the reservoir before us. We're surrounded by forest greens and rusty rocky reds in a high mountain valley near Aspen. And Keycut, who spends a lot of time deep in river canyons, is savoring the moment under his straw hat. I kind of come alive with more space. It kind of allows me to catch my breath and breathe and kind of soar a little bit. Kikut has been painting and drawing the landscapes of the West for decades. He traveled the region with his family as a kid, had a creative aha moment in college, and found inspiration in Thomas Moran, a 19th century artist whose paintings of Yellowstone motivated people to create America's first national park. Art definitely has an important role in engaging a wider public. I always have that in the back of my mind. What is it that's important and what 
am I doing as an artist to point to things that I feel deserve some attention? Keycut spent most of his career painting lonely highways and arid deserts, treating those wide, empty spaces with the same reverence Moran gave to Yellowstone. Then, a few years ago, he joined a team of researchers and other artists on a trip down the green and Colorado rivers. It's like, oh, this is the original highway. The original highway is the river. So that was a hook for me. It followed the same route that John Wesley Powell took in 1869. But this group's trip, 150 years later, was shaped by major infrastructure like dams and reservoirs and by increasingly fraught conversations about the difference between water supply and demand in the basin. I've been documenting this drought that's over 20 years for well, for since it started. It's important for me to show the realities of the West. Kika documented the trip in drawings from the field, which he turned into larger-scale paintings later on. But 2019 was a good water year. He returned last year as reservoirs reached record lows, and some of his pieces are now on display at a library in the Roaring Fork Valley, near a major tributary to the Colorado River. His paintings are high up on the walls, so you have to crane your neck to see them, almost like you're in the bottom of a canyon yourself. Dams, reservoirs, and rivers come in shades of warm brown and pale blue. You can almost feel how dry it was just by looking. Christina Medved runs community outreach for the Roaring Fork Conservancy, a nonprofit that organized the workshop and worked with the Basalt Regional Library on this show. We still need to be capturing these places both for historical reasons, but also because of what they can do with drawing out the emotions and the beauty. Medved hopes it'll help people connect with water issues that can sometimes be hard to understand. And so does Keycut. He says making art about the river helped him develop a sense of place and grasp what that place means in a larger context. The persistence of water, I think, is is an amazing thing that allows me to think of this planet on a deeper and kind of broader scale than I have before. So now, after an extra snowy winter and rainy spring brought lots of water to the Colorado River Basin, Kikun is again thinking about how it's changing and using his pencil and brush to depict the high water marks too. I'm Kaya Williams. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for rain tonight, followed by clearing skies and a low near 50 degrees. Thursday calls for thunderstorms developing in the afternoon with a high near 70, followed by a rainy night with a low near 50 degrees. Friday should bring a high near 70 with showers and thunderstorms likely developing in the afternoon. Friday night expect showers to taper off, followed by clouds and a low near 50. This has been the news for Wednesday, August 16th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hey, Kodo listeners. Nominations are officially open for the Telluride Foundation's 20th Annual Volunteer of the Year Award. Each year, the Foundation recognizes a community member who unselfishly contributes to the improvement of our region through volunteerism, and we need your help to find the winner. You know, that one person who can never hang out because they're so busy volunteering, or that friend who spends all their free time helping out with causes that they care about? We hope you'll participate and tell us who you think should be this year's Volunteer of the Year so that we can give them the recognition that they deserve. 
In addition to being honored at a community celebration, the winner of the 2023 Volunteer of the Year Award receives a $5,000 grant from the Telluride Foundation to donate to a regional nonprofit of their choice. To nominate someone, go to telluridefoundation.org and click the Volunteer of the Year nomination link on our homepage. Nominations take just a couple minutes and are due by September the 8th. So what are you waiting for? Tell us who you think is making a huge impact in our community and why. We can't wait to surprise them with the honor of being selected as the Telluride Foundation's 2023 Volunteer of the Year. Thanks, Kodo, for helping us spread the word. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You're also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.